Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode, episode 58 of the Agile Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Bonacci. You can find me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. The Agile Coffee Podcast is part of the Agile Podcast Network, your home for Agile-centric podcasts, a collection of the best of them. Go to agilepodcastnetwork.com to find out more great information. Hey, you know, this is episode 58, which I recorded back in February. It's it's actually from two separate recordings, one from the Agile Open Northwest in the early part of the month, and then the second half of today's episode is from Agile Open San Diego, which was in the middle of February. So you're going to hear about 30 minutes from each open space event. And then I've got one more uh, podcast ready to go, and another one that I'm recording tomorrow. So we should be getting a couple of podcasts out here in April as well. In fact, y'all remember Kim Brainerd, my co-chair from the Scrum Gathering in San Diego. Uh, she and I are going to be on a podcast. I think it will be episode 59 here next, talking about, well, catching up among other things, but but talking about training from the back of the room and what she's been up to. And uh, I think we're going to get a little bit entrepreneurial. So if you're into kind of building your own path as far as, you know, starting a coaching business or whatever it might be, a training business, um, stick around for that. Episode 59 should be full of some good tidbits. Hey, and since I'm talking about putting together the podcast, I want to tell you that there have been so many joys in doing this podcast, just getting it off the ground and meeting people. I just was contacted by a listener, uh, Ravi Shankar from India. Um, he's from the southeast coast, I believe, in a, the area of Tamil Nadu. I think the city is Chennai. I could be could be mispronouncing it, but just wanted to give it a shout out to a listener who dropped me a line. Um, so, hey, Ravi, um, hope you're listening. Hope you're enjoying the podcast and uh, keep in touch. So before we start this episode, just two quick announcements. One is the cards. The Agile Coffee Conversation Starters are three decks, volumes one through three, of lean coffee topics. And um, they're available at agilecoachingcards.com. If you buy all three volumes, you'll also get the fourth deck, which is my coach's toolkit. Related to that... I've got uh, a happy announcement. Agile 2018, which is going to be in San Diego in August this year, selected my talk on coaching heuristics to be included in the program. So I will be in San Diego in August talking about coaching heuristics, which is a fancy way of saying all of the cards that are in the coach's toolkit deck. I'll be bringing decks of those cards and passing them out to attendees of, of my session. And we'll be talking about why I chose these cards, how I use them, uh, what other cards might we add. And then if people in the audience, uh, participants have their own heuristics, you know, what else could we add to this toolkit and, and why it's good to have uh, a toolkit. So that'll be fun. And also, if you are planning to attend the Agile 2018 conference in August of this year, I'm, I'm actually doing a two-day presentation on training from the back of the room, the Sharon Bowman two-day class. I'm certified to teach the class, so I will be offering it on the Saturday and Sunday just previous to Agile 2018. So that's going to be on Saturday 
and Sunday, August 4th and 5th. And then the very next day, Monday, is the kickoff to Agile 2018. So if you're in the area, if you're thinking of coming to check out um, Agile 2018 and you wanted to take the class with me, um, you can go to my website. It's trainingfromthebackofcalifornia.com, or you could do the much shorter tbrcal.com. It's only six letters, TBR Cal. And um, the date is there. I've also got a September date, September 15th and 16th, which will be in Irvine the weekend after Agile Open SoCal this year. So two dates, some in August in San Diego and some in September in Irvine. Um, Training from the back of the room is a really fun, very exciting two-day course. I'm very happy to be sharing that with, uh, with the community here. Well, that's enough from uh, from me. We want to get on to the show. So let's take ourselves up to Seattle, put ourselves back in time to the early part of February, and get to know some people from Agile Open Northwest here on the Agile Coffee Podcast, Episode 58. Welcome to Episode 58 of the Agile Coffee Podcast, recording live from the Agile Open Northwest in Seattle. Uh, we're at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall, or right underneath the Space Needle, is what I'm supposed to say. Um, this is the end of day one, and with us today, I think, Joel, have you, you've been on one of these before, no? No. Harold, I believe, you've, you haven't either? I don't think so. Wow. Well, going around the table, we've got David Snook. Hi, David. Hello. Uh, Joel Bancroft Connors, JBC underscore GC yeah. on Twitter. We've got Harold Shinsato at uh, H-A-J-U-S-H on Twitter. Thank you. And Dane, Dane Charbonneau, on Twitter at DanePC, D-A-I-N-P-C. All of our contact information will be on the show notes at agilecoffee.com slash episode 58. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and get started since we are at the end of day one and we've got two more days to go. I wanted to start off by just getting your overall impressions of how the Agile Open went today. And, uh, and what you're looking forward to over the next couple of days. And let me start by asking, is anyone here new to Agile Opens? David, Dane? And I am as well, yes. Yeah. yeah. So let's start with you guys. What do you think about today? Go ahead. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I think um, this is my first time doing the open concept with uh, groups and stuff. And uh, I really enjoy the small groups. Uh, I think there's been a lot more feedback people rather than sitting mm-hmm. through a, a, a long presentation and then trying to like pull out that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, the few sessions where people have really opened up or are very interactive, I enjoy. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been good so far. I'm looking forward to continuing to see how this evolves and goes. Had you pitched time. a topic yet? I have not. I've been working on a few ideas. You um, think about maybe tomorrow, maybe Wednesday you'll throw uh, something up there? Tomorrow afternoon or mm-hmm. Wednesday. I got I to do some work, so I'm not going to miss the morning. But. <laughs> Okay, so David, uh, yeah. for myself, I am just absolutely shocked at how well things come together spontaneously like that. I like the, uh, the idea of not having to prepare, uh, and I actually signed up for um, to, to give a talk today, and I gave one already. Hey, congrats. Uh, so I got that out of my system. Yeah. What was your topic on? <laughs> my, my topic was on uh, being agile, but looking, pretending to be waterfall. That sounds interesting. Yes, and I got uh, I got some real good, interesting discussion going, and that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. And I didn't have all the answers. In fact, I had more questions than anybody, and that was yeah. part of my reason for doing it. And I got some really good advice. That's one of the joys about open space too. Is you're you're not really expected if you host a session to have all the answers. 
you can come with questions and ask the people for their their opinions. Uh, Joel, did you have anything that stood out today? So, um, yeah, I've been to Open Spaces. My actual very first official Agile event was the networking event at Agile Open 2009, which Ainsley Knees dragged me to kicking and screaming because <laughs> I was a project manager at the time. Um, and this is my second Agile Open Northwest, and it's like, literally, it's the mother of all op open spaces. I've done Agile Open Northern California, and it's just incredible to the size and the scope and the breadth and just the knowledge that you can get. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next two days. I'll probably put in a topic tomorrow. Um, and just, but more, it's the, just so much learning. I, I think about it as recharging my Agile batteries for the year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love Open space. I'm yeah. I'm on the board of the Open Space Institute. My first Agile, big Agile conference in Toronto, Agile 2008. I was excited because I heard that Open Space was kind of a part of the origin story of the big Agile conference. Right. And they have that Open Jam kind of parallel thing. Yeah. This though, to me, is the most influential of all the Agile this Open is Spaces like the on crown the planet. Jewel. The yeah, Agile Open yeah. Northwest. I remember my first time coming to Agile Open Northwest was in Portland about three years ago because it rotates every year between Seattle and Portland. And you, if I recall correctly, were like a co-facilitator. I think you guys, Troy, Troy, tag teamed for the mm -hmm. uh, the opening, which was unique. So, um, so great. Let's get started. We've got five topics out in front of us, and we're going to try to um, spend maybe about five or six minutes a topic. And uh, you know, normal lean coffee rules. If you want to keep talking, you know, give me a thumbs up. If you've gotten enough out of it, just turn it to a thumbs down and we'll move on. Um, the first one we have up here, Harold, I think this is yours, Agile Ethics. Why'd you write Agile Ethics? What's that mean? It's been a topic of passion and interest for me as a certified coach. The Coaching Federation has a set of ethics that everyone agrees to. The Scrum, as a member of the Scrum Alliance, there's a set of ethics there. But in Agile, it, it's kind of amorphous. I, if the Agile Alliance has a set of ethics, it's certainly not something I've heard mm. explicitly. And I think given that we're in an open space and we are getting a chance to be a community, and, and this open space is, is so influential, and it came up today over lunch, I, th I thought maybe we could chat a bit about here. I know Scrum has values, XP has values, Lean has pillars. The Agile Manifesto. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's, those are the values yeah. we've got is the, the four, four values and 12 principles. We value this over that. Okay. Yeah. So more, I think it's more you'd have to look into the principles, but even the principles, yeah. I mean, half the principles are technical based. So. Yes. I definitely agree on, on the ethics. Um, coming out of, um, hi, I'm Joel, I'm a recovering PMP. It's been eight years since I opened a Gantt chart. <laughs> I mean, ethics were something that was important as a PMP. I mean, they, they take it very seriously and such. And I wonder maybe whether or not the, the code of conducts that we're starting to see in the conferences could be the starting of an ethics, because that's at least how you treat people. Mm -hmm. And then it's what are the ethics of, I mean, do you need ethics around the business of being an Agile consultant? Um, I... I I could almost see that it could be useful, although I imagine some of the larger consulting firms might have an issue with that. Well, there's in coaching, there is a simple guideline that I think we, we would benefit from, which is you can't uh, force someone to be coached where you are also getting a chance to evaluate them. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a boundary, a clear boundary required if you're going to be a coach. 
and be continue to be certified. But if you're going to coach someone and you're the th- a third party, so you have the, the client, which is the employee, and you have management that's paying you and you're the coach, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't be listening to this client and then blabbing to the boss about, mm-hmm. oh, he's a, he's a problem, this guy's a whiner, you should get rid of him. Oh. It's just not okay. Whereas we don't have that. And one thing I think would be really beneficial, and this is coming up a lot more and more, is we really should be doing coaching strictly on pull. If we're mandating and forcing Agile practices on to community, I think we're giving Agile a bad name. And I've been in large enterprises where Agile's been forced down developers' throats, and they don't do well with it. And often when it's shoved down middle management's throats... They start being like the Roman Catholics in Europe and calling things Christianity, which were really still just pagan practices. And, and I don't think it's helping what we're doing. What about you guys, David, Dane? The D crowd. So, all right. <laughs> um, so what kind of a venue would you use for explaining ethics and how would you get everybody to agree? So I think it's awesome to have uh, the idea of having a kind of an ethical foundation underneath it. But usually those are the things that start off at the beginning. You don't like add it on afterwards. For one thing, people are already in it and like, what if they don't agree? Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm all for it. I'm just wondering what kind of a venue it would be. I like the, I basically pulled ethics out of the Agile Manifesto. First one, people over processes, right? Mm-hmm. People, people-centric. I mean, that seems like that's, that's an ethical statement right there. But if you wanted to go beyond that, where would you stick it? And since Agilus has all these, all these different flavors, would you like say they all need to have it on all of their principles for each custom flavor that comes out? They need to say whether they're for it against particular ethics. I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate here, aren't I? I love it. Yeah, no, good. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I, going to the, I mean, you brought up the manifesto again. I think it's it's one of those things that it's the, I think you're right. If we you can't necessarily put ethics in now because what if people don't agree? However, when the Agile manifesto came out, it was the these are the things we believe. You can sign up if you agree. Yeah. So it's possible that it was maybe opt-in. yeah yeah maybe <laughs> we create an opt-in set of ethics and it's like then it's I mean it eventually it'll get a potentially get a groundswell. Um, where, well, look, this person signed up to to the Agile Ethics, and this company hasn't. I would hope we would do it in an Agile way and not in a command and control way. And I'm not sure we have a good model of what that looks like, but I bet we could figure something out and that we're smart enough to do that. If there was some, some group can community coherence, and one thing I've heard complained about about the Agile community as a whole is we don't really have an immune system. It's mm. kind of this amorphous marketplace. Mm. And so you're saying some bad ideas get in and, we, and no one can tell and they're just floating around there masquerading as good ideas? <laughs> I don't know if I like the idea of having these white blood cells cleaning out bad Agile. Um, but I do like the idea of having a safe container mm-hmm. 
like to me, I like Joshua Karievsky's Modern Agile. I, I think it's an awesome thing. Yeah. True. But I don't think we need to have it mandated. Right. If people love it and they tweet about it and they talk about it, I think it can start saying, well, I'm noticing that people in this, the coaches we've hired are, are doing the mandate thing. And I read this guy, this guy, and that guy, and, and they said that's not good. And then they, they have a conversation with the coaches and they fix it. Okay. Sounds like it might be a session for tomorrow then. You can put yeah. that up there. And The thing about lean coffee is we've got five, seven, ten minutes per topic versus an open space where you have 45 minutes or an hour for, per topic. Speaking of that, let's move on to our next topic then, which is Joel's happiness does not equal healthy. So I went to a session that was um, a great session. I, I don't remember the name, the gentleman's name. His company had built a health assessment based off of the Agile Fluency model, and they were, it was a lot of talking about how do, how do different people do everything. And I'm a big proponent of using something called the happiness metric during um, sprint retrospectives, and you get a score of 1 to 5, and you can do histograms from it, and that's great. However, the, 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 the facilitator for the session was really called out something because we all started getting off on this happiness thing and he called out it's like the you know just because a team's happy doesn't mean it's healthy and it's a really good point and something I think I need to think about more about because a lot of times I think about how do I make teams more happy and it's a team can be awesomely happy and utterly unproductive and so what's the balance between happy and productivity that equals healthy so I have an idea, and I think it has to do with um, having people understand that there are deeper needs, not just for beer and donuts, mm-hmm. but deeper needs can be satisfied where they feel like they are a valued member, that they're doing something worthwhile, and that they have some agency. Yeah. And if you put those things things together that they can really have deep kind of enduring happiness that's more than just the circumstances of every individual day and just the vicissitudes of life. So I think if we can, if we can explain um, happiness that way instead of, hey, are you just entertained? Do you, are you chasing the latest shiny concept slash tool, whatever it is? I think that people will, they want the, those things. They have a deep hunger for um, being valued, being, being producing something that is worth something to other people. And I think if you show that, that, and that's what the team wants. The team wants valuable stuff coming out of individuals. So if you can show that your happiness lines up with these things that we want anyway, mm-hmm. win-win. I'm thinking of um, Dan Pink's drive, right? He talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. purpose. Thank yeah. you. And some combination there equals... I don't know if it equals healthy or if it equals happy. Motivation. Right? So that, to me, indicates more where we're going with, like, that would be more healthy happiness. Right? Yeah. I think, I think Harold and I were both thinking the exact same thing of Damping yeah. Drive as, as, as you were. And, yeah, maybe it's one of those things that it kind of takes me to metrics and um, the fact that it's so easy to game a single metric. I usually... When people want to talk about metrics, I usually start by telling them about Goodhart's Law. Goodhart's an economist, and it's the um, the English translation of Goodhart's Law is any measure that becomes a goal is no longer a good measure. 
And I think maybe that's part of it is you can't just say, is the team healthy? Because that's only a single metric. Whereas, is the team, does the team have autonomy? Does the team have mastery? Does the team have purpose? By measuring all three, then you actually get a more accurate read on, on the disposition of the team. Uh, I like to throw this out because it's, it's helpful in this conversation about metrics. There is a psychologist economist that should have won the Nobel Peace Prize, but he died. Robert Hartman, Robert S. Hartman, came up with a science of, of value called axiology. And there, there's simple math to it. There's um, like a goal is a, is a systemic value and it says yes or no. And those that should, should be at the bottom of the hierarchy of value. Um, finite numbers are extrinsic measures. The amount of money a team is making, their velocity, that's finite. But the highest order of value is infinite. Uh, there is really no end to the level of mastery or uh, the level of autonomy at some level. Uh, the love, human values, the value of a human being. So those are harder to, to put metrics on. But we as human beings have the ability to sense that. So in some ways, people designing a happiness metric, there really should never be an end to that scale. One to five. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? Mars right. goes up to 11. Yeah. How about big decimal? I like that. Big decimal just keeps going. Yep. <laughs> I was going to, like, you That's hit on it, but my only thought when I saw that happiness is not even equal healthy is to me, like, happiness is like a wheel. It does not equal a car. Mm. Wheel is not. It's a part of a car. Mm. There's so much more that goes into a healthy team than just happiness. But happiness mm. is a component. Without it, I don't think you can have a healthy team. I, I would agree. I tried to wrap my head around, could, could a team be healthy and not be happy? Yes. How? I mm. didn't feel they could. Yeah, I, didn't, I couldn't see how a team could be In healthy. In the short run. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Very uh, short term. The key thing. Yeah. In the short run. Yeah. yeah. But I feel Which... I guess that would go because um, a lot of people believe that uh, the, the happiness metric is one of the few leading indicators on a team. team, yep. And so a team can have high velocity, high plan to don, high, high um, low, low bugs. And if their happiness is going down, it's usually a leading indicator that the team's about to crash. Yep. So what you're saying is that they can be healthy, but, I would, but not for long. I would say short term, they can appear healthy. I'd mm. say if they're going to crash, they're not really healthy even though they're giving signs of being healthier productivity and little mm. bugs and all that. Like my daughter, I let her play with the iPad 12 hours a day. She's happy, but probably not for long, and probably not healthy either. If you're listening out there, Sophia, get so, off the iPad. There, there, there's a study in positive psychology. It's a big, it's a big thing. Um, they had someone keynote one of the last Agile conferences about four, three, four years ago, and it was something like a three-to-one ratio for positive to negative emotions. Mm-hmm. So if it's all positive, it's actually, yeah, that's probably not so great. Yeah. Like sickly yeah. sweet kind of thing? Like yeah. eating too much candy? Fake. All right. Yeah. All right. Kind of like distress and eustress. There's healthy stress yeah. and unhealthy stress. And yeah. you need a balance. I totally believe in eustress, yeah. yes. I can see, yeah, probably having the ultimate happiness on a team. You let them do whatever they want. They do what they want. And it's not a healthy thing. Hmm. If, if they don't get their work done. There's something Bob Martin, um, Uncle Bob said, that a, a good architecture is capable of changing because it did lots of changing. If we're not suffering and then growing and then suffering and growing, I mean, we're, we're probably not going to change anything. 
Yeah, but just because you're suffering and growing doesn't mean you can't be happy in your work. I mean, part of uh, growing and evolving is there's, like, some pleasure there when you, like, get through the hurdles, get through the suffering. And it seems like that leads right back into Agile and how we talk about failure is not a bad thing. You, you, you learn by failure. Just like Thomas Edison, I didn't fail a thousand times. I learned a thousand ways that it does not work. Uh, what does happiness mean to you? Let us know on Twitter by using the hashtag AskAgileCoffee. Let's move on to the next topic. It says, what does Agile look like when we have AI team members? David, this is your topic, so why don't you start us off. So I was thinking ahead. So I have big dreams. I anticipate uh, software that's able to modify itself, solve problems, maybe simple ones at first. And I thought, well, are they going to be team member? If they're a team member, how does that change Agile. I mean, essentially, you don't have to give them coffee. Um, what kind of status do they provide at stand-up? I think things. I think things could be very, very different. The one thing I think that would we could possibly learn from them is a, is a, is basically the trying a million things. That's the thing that they can do that we can't do. Mm. We have to be selective. We have to like guess and pick something and narrow things down because we have limited capabilities for a particular time. We can say, we're just going to go down this road. We can't go down this other roads. But AI can go down all these roads at once. You like that sound effect? So I like I liked thinking about having different able uh, team members with different abilities on the team. What would it be like? And how, how can we use that difference to inform what we're doing right now? Is it the Harold? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, 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 for me, at first, it was kind of a little hard to relate to your question, but then I thought um, I've named my car when I was like right. you know named it Betsy, right? And right. it's like not an AI, but we're really close to having self-driving cars. Yes. Could they like fit as a slot in the Kanban as having assignments? Yeah. What if you said I'm going to hand this off? Then they're they're a specialist. But they're part of the team, and they do something that the rest of the team can't do. See, that's where 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 <laughs> they're not my, a journalist. No, that's where my brain was going. Is that they're a specialist? So can they actually be part of an agile team as opposed to? Because I think of you have like feature teams are usually considered they should be cross cross functional, like UI mm-hmm. uh, and everything. But everybody should be classically T shaped. They should be able to at least do one other job on the team. Whereas you've got services teams that help support feature teams and they're building infrastructure and they're very, very, like the database people. Could an AI ever be part of an agile development team, a cross-functional agile development team, or would they always be relegated to a Kanban-esque services team? I almost see them as like a steno pool in a way, which would be not very nice to them. No, that... That, yeah, I'm not it's, sure. I want to put the, could, the AI could, in the steno pool. They might get mad at us. But you could have you, you could have them in more of that service kanban kind of role, but having retrospectives and certain cadence, and still bringing some of the agile principles around. Or what if it's more than one, and they really t- together make a multiple personality, but they have like they diff- there's one AI that's specialized for a certain thing and one specialized mm-hmm. for another, and but it's all running on the same hardware or whatever. <laughs> I just I, I I can see agile I could see AI teams. I'm just trying to figure yeah. out how you could end up with a 
AI human team because ultimately, I mean, literally, just like QA is a bottleneck to developers, the human team members will become the bottleneck to the AI. It's like, what do you mean you're going to get copy? That's right. I need you to review this code now. That's true. Are you familiar with the term singularity, which some have referred to as the geek apocalypse? That's right. And it's pretty much all bets are off. That's right. So anything we think we know or can plan about this. That's right. When AI is smarter than us, then... uh, yeah, we get kicked off the team. It's so much what AI could be. Like initially, AI, if it's just like a smart thing that can determine, hey, this should be this, or understand and use the the human component of does this feel right, does it look right, mm-hmm. versus it just doing a check. I mean, at that point, it's just I think a team would just see it as a tool, another tool for the, to support the team. If it gets to the point where all of a sudden you have this thing, AI has personality that's different than the other AI, all of a sudden maybe the people on the team will feel more like a team member. And so I, I think it big thing is it turns on, like, what is this AI? What's it capable of? I mean, I understand that, theoretically, the AI could be capable of anything, you know? But but if you just look at something that just is, like, uh, artificial intelligence to, to, like, test, and it can, like, work through new web page design stuff based on learning and all that and determine stuff, I think it's going to be looked at more like a tool. Well, I think we're already at that point already where we have... You know, that reminds me, I, an old VP of mine from a company from 20 years ago, he's actually the CEO of a company, I forget the name of it, and I'm not going to take the time to look it up right now, but his company actually is is, is billing itself as the, um, the first AI automated test harness. And so it's an AI system that is supposed to self-learn to make the testing better. And that um, I just, I remember, the CEO's name is Kevin Serace, and I, I know him from companies long ago. And it was AI test automation. It's like, okay, that's kind of, David, what you're saying. We it, already got, it's great. It we, we replaced, you're right. It is, we've it replaced is. QA with, with an AI. It is there. So yeah. QA's already ticked off at us enough. So like, what does that imply, though? One of the differences, I think, when you're dealing with an AI is that you have to be much more descriptive up front of what it is that you want. Right. I mean, your training set, your, uh, your expectations have to be much more clear, and then you get a better answer. Um, I think we can bring that back to individual team members. I think we can get better performance out of the rest of our team members by being more clear about what we expect. That was kind of the, when I went to the future and then I came back, that's what I got. Is there a, a movie <laughs> a movie in the last 10 years that starts to encapsulate the idea of an AI team member? Skynet. Skynet? Um, Terminator. 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 <laughs> oh, man. Um, I never say the word right, but Deus, Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, there was a movie <laughs> yeah, last yes. year. Yeah, that right. one was yeah. was trying to make a, I mean, a companion. So it was almost like a team member would have been. Yeah, yeah. And that one was. It had its own. She it had yeah, it, yeah. had her own idea about whether or not she wanted to be on a team or she just wanted to be on her own. The boss. She, she she ended up being the boss. So as we're uh, we're in a time box um, here, and we're we've got about nine minutes before it gets really loud in this room. Let's move on to what might be our last topic. We'll see. Uh, we have the value of not being defensive about agile. So that's mine again, and I'll explain. Um, I have seen some negative effects around being defensive. I saw some recently. I brought it up before we started recording. Yep. 
it makes you look weak. Mm. It also makes you look like you're not open to, to a new, another way of seeing things. I think there's some great value in saying that you don't know everything, that you're not even sure that Agile is the answer for everything. In fact, you're pretty sure that it's not the ultimate end-all process that we're going to end up using, say, even 10 years from now, that, that soon, to have a little bit of humility. And when you open the door like that, I think people who, are, who would have been uh, critical of Agile in this particular case, they're more likely to, uh, to accept the rest of what you have to say. So that's, I'm just going to p- put that out there as, as a, a possible... Similarly, yes. uh, we were in, I was in a topic actually that Harold posted today about the, um, the Grizzly developers. We were talking about developers or team members, let's just say, who might be so expert at what they're doing that uh, they take on a lot of work. Maybe they're grumpy. Maybe their disposition is hard for other people to crack into. And so um, if you were to, how would you coach them was a question. How would you work with them? Um, and, and someone in the audience said, be careful what you say to them because they will get defensive. I can't remember what the phrase was offhand. But the idea being that if they are defensive, then that's not where you want them to be. And so what does that look like then on a team if you have someone that's very defensive? Now, you're spinning it on in the agile about agile but here we are but yeah so <laughs> defensiveness can breed defensiveness because people quite often um, when they become highly defensive they will become offensive in in, in counter i think I, I know i face the challenge a lot because i'm one of those people that came into agile coaching through program management as opposed to engineering background and so i'm not an engineer i didn't even stay in a holiday and express last night and so <laughs> i always am facing that challenge Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always facing that challenge of I don't have those engineering chops and how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And honestly, um, the biggest lesson I ever learned was um, I learned it both from an old boss and from years of stage theater. And that is an old improv tool of yes and. Mm-hmm. And I just, I never say but, I never say no. I always answer everything with yes and and then try and build on what they're saying. So when they bring up a a barrier I go yes and try and dig into it and I try and use it as a launching board and because I'm always saying yes it's hard for them to argue I also find by saying yes and I don't it's hard for me to get into a defensive it would I'm sure put you put the other person who's listening to the yes and consciously or not into a mode of collaboration with you since you're often giving some kind of a solution or way out through the and. Right. It's letting them think, oh, I can also build upon the situation. There's an element of validation that is hard for me to practice, and the yes and is a great practice. And I also notice when I'm invalidated, even if I'm wrong, um, it's hard to it's hard to stay present with with the other person, and it's it's definitely this Aikido effect when you do the yes and because it's actually very strong, and there's a lot we can learn from that the sensei oh sensei about Aikido because I I do believe and I'm probably not going to let go of it that there's a there's an inherent beauty and validity to the agile 
that's distinct from the processes and the methods that I'm probably not going to compromise on, but it doesn't help me to to defend it. As a coach, most of us here are coaches, when you appear defensive, that's a bad thing altogether as well because the coach needs to be open, accessible, has to be... In, with a safe place, an element of safety around. So once you're defensive, that all goes away. And as they say, trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets. You know, and, and once you lose that trust by being defensive, would be one step in the path of losing to trust. Um, it's very difficult, if not impossible, especially if you're, on, if you're on a short-term project, to regain that trust. I, I would say that's also, I mean, as, as a coach, I've, I've learned, especially because I don't have the technical background, I've, I've learned to become comfortable with saying three words that are just so incredibly hard for a coach to say, and those are, I don't know. And being okay with saying I don't know to clients, to teams. One thing that I've noticed really actually grows a lot of emotional safety is making mistakes right in front of the client or the students yeah. and being able to, to correct and it encourages them to have the safety to, to do the same and that boy, you know your whole ego is not going to get lost if you made a mistake I, I'm so, I agree with you Harold I was working with a team last year with two, two wonderful scrum masters and I was trying to teach them how to do burn down charts and I don't do them often because I don't I'm not on a team all the time. Literally within three days, they, they banned me from the burndown charts. I wasn't allowed to touch them anymore. It's like, well, you know how to do them now. Stay away. <laughs> Luella and Falco was um, just in this spot here for the last session talking about um, a visiting coach program, and one element of it was pair coaching. And he said that one of the most powerful ways to show a team, to model team behavior, is to have the coaches... Um, kind of correct each other, do a retrospective of just the coaches in front of the team so that they can model humility and, and taking that type of feedback. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was very powerful, too, when he, when he said that, because then the team realizes that, hey, if they can, if the coach can accept that experience, that, that those words, you know, we should be able to also. The woman that was sitting where I was sitting said yeah. she actually deliberately makes mistakes. I, right. I don't know that if she part, really yeah. meant that, but... I'm not sure I'd want to do that, but I would be okay with bringing up old mistakes. Same old one over and over again. That'd be great. I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any trouble generating my own mistakes. If you yeah. want to engage the attention of the audience, yeah. maybe it's good to bring up intentionally insert a mistake to see who's listening. I don't have to intentionally do it. They yeah. just come out. <laughs> I know Chris Sims, an old mentor of mine, used to do, would, would do that when trying to teach prioritization. He would purposely put things up on the wall in what he knew was completely the wrong order just to force the, or the the people to go, oh, no, no, that's not right. And then actually, because they'd always go, no, everything's top priority. Oh, okay, well, how about this? And they'd just go, no, and it would get them engaged. Well, that's a great way, yeah, to yeah. bring people out and start talking about it. So what do you do out there? Let us know. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee on Twitter. Do you make any mistakes? I guess that about wraps us up for this episode of the Agile Cola podcast. Oh, there's a mistake. The Agile Coffee podcast. You Just wanted to see if that. people were listening. That's right. Get you engaged. I want to. I want to thank you guys uh, once again for joining me on short notice today. Around the table, which is made up of a flip chart pad today, we have David Snook. You like that sound effect? 
Joel Bancroft Connors, Harold Shinsato, and Dane Charbonneau. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thanks, Vic. Thank, Thank you. you. The Very notes blessed. from this podcast are online at agilecoffee.com slash episode 58. Until next time, enjoy your coffee with friends. Do you like David's sound effect as much as I do? It's going to become a permanent fixture, I think. It might overtake even the theme song. I'm already overusing it, but um, let me know. Tell Edge of Coffee. Hashtag theme song. Um, what do you think? <laughs> do you want to should I stick with David's sound effect here or go back to the... Uh, that was an origin story, too. You got to hear it live um, with me. So... Anyway, that was Agile Open Northwest, three great days, like 300 people or so. Um, It's a fun event. I got to reconnect with Ainsley and Rebecca and Diana and Aki and Jeremy, Michael, Troy, Willem, Llewellyn. I met so many great people in addition to the people on the podcast. I went to the Lean Coffee uh, that Adam Urit throws at uh, the Cacao, the Lean Coffee group up there. So then a week and a half later, I go down to San Diego and uh, Melissa and Joe put on a great show there. It's their third year. Diana was there again. Got to see Woody and Roger. The guys from Hunter, some of them were up in in uh, in Seattle. And uh, another group of them were down in their backyard in San Diego. Um, so the guys from Hunter were there. Um, got to see Paul and Paul and, and Ben and Brian, Cliff, Cody, Van, the guys from Rocket Nine. Um, Van, here's some trivia for you. Van was at my very first Agile Coffee that I threw in 2012 right across from where I used to work at SendGrid. So we did one, and, and Van was there, and, and there he goes. He was down there in San Diego, too, so that was cool. As far as sessions go, um, I got to do some sessions myself um, up in Seattle. Uh, I did one <laughs> I did one called Practices That Help You Be Present, right? So we got to do mindfulness in the morning. There were, gosh, 12, 15 of us. Uh, a really fantastic time. Um, I did I did a 45-minute or so hour-long uh, presentation on the six brain-based learning principles uh, that trump traditional teaching. Uh, so I got to do that twice there, at uh, one at the, in Seattle and then one down in San Diego. Also in, at both places, I recorded the podcast. So you're about to hear part two of episode 58. And, um, and down in San Diego, I did a, a, a journey lines exercise, I guess, uh, called What's Your Path? And that was a, a whole lot of fun. So here we go, back to part two of episode 58 of Agile Coffee. And today we are in San Diego at the Agile Open San Diego. It's the third annual Agile Open San Diego. Um, have any of you guys been to the Agile Open here before in San Diego? Every year? Every every year you have? Yeah. This is number three for you? Yep. Yeah, great. Good. Uh, around the room, we've got Rich Klingman, uh, Jason Kearney, and Sarah Weisel. And uh, I'm Vic Bonacci. You can find me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Jason's been on the podcast before. I can't recall what episode now, but it was probably in the 30s. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, He can be found on Twitter at Jason Kearney. Uh, Everyone else is on LinkedIn, so you can find us there as well. So here it is, day two of the Agile Open. And I just kind of wanted to get a sense of what you guys thought about the, uh, the open space this year. And and remind me, have have you been Rich? I'm looking at you. Have you been at a, an Agile Open here before? Yeah. Hi, my name's Rich. Uh, I work with Hunter and uh, live in San Diego area. Yeah, this is my second time. Uh, I had been to my first Agile Open was Irvine oh, about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and so last year here was my second time and found it really interesting and informative and loved the format to where when I first heard about it, I thought. 
no way that I'm going to do a session. You know, I don't have anything to talk about. And then uh, my first Agile Open, actually, I think I did three sessions, some of them by myself and some with other people. And I just found it. And then, you know, going and listening and learning from other people's sessions, too, is really awesome. And did you do a session this year? Here? I did two. I did one with a coworker on DevOps. Okay. And then I did one. I'm a foster parent and adoptive dad. I did one with Agile Parenting. Oh, very good. I had a couple of people there, and we talked about how we use Agile concepts at work. How do we take that home and use some of that structure at home Great. with parenting with our kids? Let's come back to that in a minute. I want to introduce Sarah, though, as well. Is this your first time coming to an Agile Open? Uh, no, this is my third Agile Open. Uh, my first one was in 2015 in Irvine, and then I also attended the first San Diego Agile Open, and then I skipped last year, but I'm back this year. Wow, cool. So we all have experience with Agile Opens and open space. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Rich. I love the format here that we have uh, of the Agile Opens, of open space. Um, and as listeners know, um, typically on this podcast, the Agile Coffee podcast, we use the lean coffee format. And for me, I always see a lean coffee and Agile or open spaces in general as kind of the same format, just scaled up. Uh, in that at a lean coffee, people show up, they... Um, they don't come necessarily to a meeting with a prepared agenda, but rather we create the agenda on the fly. Just like at an open space, people show up and at the marketplace in the morning, they're like, oh, yeah, I want to talk about topic X. And we just get into it. And, and, and I, th- I think one of the expansions on that, yeah. you know, at an event like this is in a lean coffee, you're kind of everybody gets to contribute, but then you're stuck with one idea. And a, an event like this, you have between the two days close to 100 sessions yeah. that you can uh, be part of. Right, right. So let, let's talk about some of the topics and the sessions that we've been in. And I'm intrigued by, by what you just threw out, the two so, uh, sessions there. Do you want to talk about the second one that you, you brought up, the Agile and Parenting? Is yeah, Agile Parenting. So uh, I've been a foster and adoptive dad. I have a 32-year-old adopted son. Um, I've had seven foster kids. I just I've taken a 15 year break and just started uh, just got recertified last Tuesday to be a foster parent again, and I do teenage boys um, doing siblings um, just because they're a little harder to place. Uh, when I moved recently, got a nice big house, get some room for teenagers, and one of the this is the first time I'm going to be a parent after learning something about agile. Oh wow! And so then I was thinking, um, Jason is big on retros, retrospectives, and though I had had some exposure at a previous job on retrospective, my experience had been really negative um, with Jason and the other people. It's been a lot more positive um, understanding, and I was thinking, how can I use this with my kids? And more than just sit around and you know at dinner table and say how was your day, you know, but a little more structure. Mm-hmm. And then that went further, even like what's the definition of done as a parent? Is your bathroom really clean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so talking about chores and homework and things like that. Well, it was anything. I mean, yeah. the definition of done as a parent is the kids out of the house and being successful in life, right? I mean, that's okay. the big done. The longer term. Longer but, term. you know, if you have sprints within your, within your family, you know, you must have some uh, pro- work product, you know. And so is it, I didn't even thought about, you know, getting chores done. That was the first thing that came to yeah. mind. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, we, we, I've talked to a lot of people who use Scrum or Kanban in their household, you know, with the... Uh, I often hear, I think the cliche is the mother is the product owner and uh, and either the father is just a team member or maybe the scrum master or something like that. Um, and then the kids, they all have their Kanban uh, swim lane and you have to have a definition of done and, and all of that too. Um, wow, great. That sounds like a pretty cool topic. What about the rest of us? Have you been to any good topics over the last two days you want to bring up? I'll go ahead, Jason. Certainly. Uh, yeah, this it's been a really amazing... Uh, Agile open for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, be prepared to be surprised. You know, it's one of the mottos, and I've been surprised at least twice a day so far. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's just lunch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, on the second day. And uh, I held a session on retrospectives yep. where I wanted people to come together and just kind of talk about things they've tried, things that have failed, try to get, you know, because it's something we all struggle with. And that went amazingly well there was a lot of good con- good conversation and what came out of that that was kind of that was surprising was that everyone kind of struggles with this idea of psychological safety mm. um, and then you know the four C's of um, how to uh, teach and ho- uh, hold sessions and stuff like this using these these four C concepts from uh, the training from the back of the room you know was amazing and mm-hmm. yeah yeah, Paul Winia uh, did that session yesterday uh, from training from the back of the room, and, and I was in there as well. And um, I didn't think I'd stick around, but he's he's a really great presenter, and the, the session was very interactive. People were into it. So um, before I knew it, the time was up. It was, it was a really engaging one. It was. Yeah, I'm with you there. Sarah, did you have anything that was notable that that either that you led or that you participated in yeah um, I haven't led any sessions this time but my favorite session so far was actually one on metrics which didn't sound all that interesting to me but at the same time it's very relevant right now because our organization is doing some stuff with metrics and trying to figure out how to measure the productivity and the value of our teams so I went to the session and we had a lot of really fantastic dialogue about um, you know what kinds of metrics people are using, what kind of metrics people should be using if they want to measure whether the team is actually busy or whether the team is actually producing something valuable. So uh, that really blew me away. I have like six pages of notes. I've been telling everyone it's the best session I've been to. So. Wow, that's really cool. Every time I go to an Agile Open, someone's pitched a, a session on metrics, and it's usually a, a metrics, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's like That's a common topic title for the, the metrics session. Um, but it's something that we can't get away from uh, whenever you go. And, and it's good to compare and see what other people are doing with metrics. Yeah. Cool. Um, session notes. I think that we said session notes are posted for this online, but you might have to uh, look up the um, on Twitter, uh, look up at the account. I believe it's Agile Open San Diego, uh, all spelled out. Uh, actually, use the hashtag AOSD18. If you look up the uh, hashtag AOSD18, um, by the time you're listening to this, uh, you might have to scroll back through through your history or through your timeline, but that's where it's at. Um, also, if you uh, if you do look at their account, I believe it's at Agile Open San Diego. Um, they might have a website associated with it too. I'll put it in the show notes, which can be found on the website agilecoffee.com/episode59. Um, I wanted to ask if people, um, like what your experience is in hosting sessions and 
two of you had said that you hosted sessions, and, and Sarah said you haven't yet. I've so, actually never hosted a session. Really? <laughs> What's, um, so why not? Um, when I come to these, I really like to just listen and mm-hmm. take in everything that's going on around me. Um, so I just haven't really felt like I want to lead anything. I just come here thinking that I'm a sponge and I want to soak up yeah. everything else that's going on. Although today I was thinking about hosting a session. Yeah. I had an idea and then someone actually pitched the idea yeah. that I had. So yeah. I'm going to go to that session later. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. And I wasn't trying to imply like you must host the session. I think that there's a... Uh, I get a lot of joy, just like at Lean Coffees, um, by sitting back and seeing what other people contribute and then participating in, in what makes sense sense for me, too. Um, I think but, one of yeah. the things that's important to remember, like you're talking about being a sponge, like the agile parenting today was not, I did not have an agenda. Mm-hmm. I had an idea. And the, the people there were giving more ideas and input than, I, you know, and it was more where I could just soak it in. Even though I was the host, mm-hmm. I was not a presenter as such. Right. And so that ability, and like you said, you were going to, but somebody else already came up with the idea. I think one of the things that's important is for people, if they're going to do an open space kind of format, is to understand that you don't, I actually don't like the ones where people come because they are, some professional, and they're basically selling their material or they're selling their services. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I I appreciate the ones where somebody comes and just raises a question. Let's talk about how do we convince developers to switch to a more agile or something like that, not where they have an agenda, but to be able to discuss. And not where they have like all the answers to to something, but rather, yeah, I love that idea of posing a question and then hoping people show up and help you solve the problem or answer the question. Those are my favorite sessions to run. And that's what I did with the uh, retrospective one also is I was just posing the question, you know, what can we do better? You know, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the session I was thinking about convening was going to be like a book club where you talk about books you've read about Agile. But someone else is doing like a books and media and like yeah. what got you to be Agile. And I thought, okay, that totally encompasses it. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Ben. Ben Rodelitz, he came in earlier. Oh, yeah. He's been on uh, previous podcasts as well. But um it's a great topic, and usually if I go to an open space, someone will put one of the flip chart papers up on the wall and just say, like, books and resources. And and it's good to, of course, see the list of books, but it's even better to have the opportunity to join a session and hear about why they're recommending that book. And I what tend to see those lists on the wall, yeah. and I never really think about them. But if someone says, like, oh, my God, you have to read this book because it taught me X, Y, and Z, then I'll yeah. go read it, you know. Right. Uh, Jason, you recommended a few books to me earlier in the I day. Did. Yeah, which is great. So I, uh, I wrote down Out of Crisis, um, and, I, and, and then there was Made to Stick, yep. which we talked about. And then the one that Willem and Diana uh, co-wrote. Do you remember the title of that? It's The Five Rules of Accelerated Learning. And, and it's a recent book. It's not too old, is it? No, it's, it's fairly recent, yeah. my understanding. Uh, what it's about is... What does it take to be in a state of learning? And then how do we help ourselves and others get there? Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, did, she came in and did a training for Hunter on this. And with the training, we all got a copy of the book also. And it has been phenomenal. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> so speaking of Hunter, there's a few of you guys here, probably like five or six, I'm going to guess, this time around. Eight. I think eight. Eight. Yeah. eight? Okay. 
Because it is your backyard being here. Um, it's not just that. We have 26 developers, and we have people that go to Agile Open Northwest. We have them go up to, uh, is it USC or UCLA? Yeah, Berkeley. Up in Berkeley. We have a, yeah, and we have okay. people go to Irvine. One of the awesome things about Hunter um, is that they pay, you know, they want us gone to conferences at least 10 days a year. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's, it's awesome. It's not like fighting to get conferences. And I'm guessing the reason is not only do you learn while you're there, but you also get to kind of teach and become a better leader in that you're gaining experience talking to Right. And that's one of the things too, that the, the director of our software development department is that, get out and talk. Is that Chris? The, yes. Chris Lucian, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was just up in the Agile Open Northwest uh, in Seattle last week, and um, I ran into uh, Willem was up there, and Chris, Chris Steed? Is Stead. That? Stead. And Chris Stead was up there, and uh, and a number of others whose now names I, I've forgotten. Yeah. But every time I go to an Agile Open space anywhere on the West Coast, yeah, I run into people from Hunter, which is amazing. It's really good. And... It's great for listeners who don't know. Um, typically, uh, when you guys are, are talking, doing a session, uh, it's mob programming or maybe it's uh, like software craftsmanship or topics related to that. As you said yesterday, you guys did a DevOps uh, session. Um, one thing right. that I've noticed at the Agile Opens is there aren't that many technical sessions. So I always relish the fact that you guys show up and kind of provide that. And that was, for me, one of the surprises when I went to the first one is I had no idea what it was. And it was all, you know, scrum coaches and whatever. And it's like, we don't do scrums. What are we doing here? Yeah. And, and so it was, it was a little bit, you know, we did, but we did test-driven development. And I actually ran into an old boss of mine. And he was the guy that converted the company from kind of waterfall and, and private ownership of code and all that into an agile structure and I was the developer who was dragging his feet mm-hmm. and just really resenting all this change. Mm-hmm. And in different sessions a lot of people say, How do you do that change? And so he and I actually did a session just on the fly, I said, Hey, how about doing this? And so we talked about what was it like from his perspective trying to make that change and from my perspective just like just resenting it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is my code. And, and how to make that change. So it's just awesome, again, the whole open structure that nobody would have put that on the curriculum for mm-hmm. some conference that they schedule six months ahead. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Uh, reminds me, Diana Larson, when she talks about uh, Liftoff, one of her other books, um, she brings up um, the story of if, if you have someone who's kind of resistant to agile or the transformation or the culture change or whatever it is and you talk to them you somehow they come around to seeing hey this is this is good i like this they could become your your best asset for selling it to others within the organization right. hey if if rich turned around and he likes it right. now I'll, yep. I'll give it a try too so yep. really cool so I want to ask another question about in, in terms of not sessions that you're drawn to, but maybe other speakers that you're drawn to. Is there anyone speaking here this week that you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to go see him or her talk? Woody Zool. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's kind of a loaded question. I was hoping someone would bring his name up. Um, Where are you now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Woody's here, and he's from San Diego as well. From um, Hunter. From Hunter as well, yeah. Um, so what topics has he done that, that you guys 
went to and, and have any observations from? So I've only been to one of his sessions so far this time. It's just hard to be in 20 places at the same time. But uh, we went to the alligators versus humans session. Uh, so that was pretty fun. Uh, it talks about kind of the if there are any benefits of releasing every like six months or two years or really infrequently versus frequently. The, the concept being that humans have to eat three times a day, but alligators can go two years between meals. Wow. Yeah, I, I see the notes, and they're actually in, in the room here that we're sitting in. Um, I was looking at the sticky notes on the wall, and I couldn't make any sense out of it. <laughs> so not having been at the session, uh, but the idea, the title of it, Alligators and Humans, uh, to me was like, what is that? And I, I wanted to check it out. He comes up with really interesting ways to pitch his uh, sessions. I, I really like that. <laughs> yeah. And I liked kind of his bottom line. It's like, a lot of times customers expect that six-month delivery or whatever. And, and his principle, like you said, is that an alligator can eat once every two years, you know. And, and so that delivery system. And sometimes customers and corporations are used to a slower delivery, more consistent delivery or whatever they, however they want to justify it. And Woody said, well, why don't we just have all breakfasts on Monday because we're wasting time preparing breakfast every day of the week. So we really should just put all the breakfasts together on Monday and we can have all the lunches on Wednesday. Right. And it's like, okay, does that really, is that really going to work within, you know, kind of a human uh, life kind of a deal? Wow, right. And uh, when we were comparing the pros of each, it seems like a lot of the alligator or infrequent release pros were really... um, more perceptions or perceived benefits like the customer thinks that you've tested it a lot better because you've had six months to do it when really you spent a couple weeks coding it and then threw it on the shelf right or you know that there's this huge list of features that are coming out and therefore it's a better release than yeah and and one of the complaints was uh that or objections was that um i don't want to have to retrain my people every two weeks Right. And so then how do you do incremental releases without having a full structure change? And the the fact is, the big changes tend to require more retraining than incremental feature. Right. You change one button. You don't need a whole training session just for that most of the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyone else? Any other uh, any other of Woody's sessions that you've been to or anyone else's sessions that you were excited to see or anyone that you're looking forward to going to see? I don't tend to pay much mind to the presenter. Right. Right. I really want to look at how the way they pitch it and what what is their passion in it. You know, I really look forward, you know, if you see someone who's got that passion for what they're what they're talking about, that's to me is a hundred times more interesting. Yeah. 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 I will say there was a session yesterday, I can't remember the name of it, the board game that they were doing, uh, Paul Wina? Yes, that was the um, Agile Fluency game. The Agile Fluency game, yeah, Paul Wynia and, um, and Diana Larson, I think she was at that as well. Um, they did that also up in Seattle too, and it had a lot of people show up, but were you a part of the yes. session itself? Yes. How did you like it? Um, well, Jason was there too, actually. Okay. Um, it was really fun and interesting. Uh, I think that I've never seen anyone uh, gamify that and, and make it into such a visual example before of the whole, you know, uh, 
iterative software development process. So I would really actually like to learn how to facilitate that game and take it to like, um, you know, I went to San Diego State. They've got a club there that does like some IT stuff. I think it would be great to take it there and show them how software development really works in the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on top of that, what I found interesting is I'm a board gamer. Mm. And I have to say that it's the first educational game that I've played that I would have enjoyed playing if it wasn't posed as an educational game. <laughs> wow. It's pretty fun, yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Once we figured out how to play and got in the rhythm of things, it was, yeah. it was fun, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And coming up, they've got the, um, the Agile Fluency Project is doing a, a two-day game workshop. Um, by the time this, is, this podcast is out, it will have passed, but uh, March 1st and 2nd, it's going to be uh, up in Seattle, Washington, um, to find out more information about the Agile Fluency game, you can go to their site, agilefluency.org, and, uh, and get more information there. I hope that they do more of those because um, I wasn't able to take advantage of the session here uh, or up in Seattle, but I passed by the session and people were laughing and having a good time. So, yeah, It was a lot of fun. One thing that was interesting is when the time spot was over, the table that I was at, didn't want to stop playing. Oh, nice. Right. <laughs> we just kept going. <laughs> Did it go into the lunch period or something, the lunchtime or something like that? I think they planned yeah. to yeah. do it right before lunch because in the past, like, it's also gone long. Well, yeah. It takes as long as it takes, right? <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. So any other observations? Any last observations before we close up today? Well, one of the, again, the Agile open structure is not where we have to go to different sessions. We don't have to pre-register. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, the sessions aren't overbooked. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's uh, one of the things I like to do is the law of two feet. Yeah. And be able to just, if I'm not engaged, I'm not contributing, I'm not learning, then I can go move to a different session. And I actually do that a lot. There's, there's a lot of sessions, again, because they tend to be more scrum, you know, kind of uh, focused sometimes, that uh, I will go in and sit at something, uh, and then, you know, after a little bit, maybe go somewhere else. And I went into one that only had two other, you know, had the host and two participants, and so it's kind of like, eh, is this going to be any good? And just standing in the back, and one of the things they started talking about is what makes an amazing team. Mm. And I suddenly, you know, they were sharing some stuff and, you know, what makes it where I want to go there and work. And some of the things they were talking about is that we do something amazing. We're free to experiment, free to fail. And so just getting some of those ideas. And there's a lot of that stuff. Again, Hunter is a pretty awesome place. Um, uh, And we are hiring interns. (laughs) Um, The the nice thing about it is that, um, you know, really said, how can I even do better about, you know, how can I contribute to really making our, you know, building our teams as more and more amazing? We have, we have our struggles, you know, we have uh, issues where um, some people don't feel there's the psychological safety or whatever. And so we work to address that. And, you know, it's like, how can I contribute? You know, what makes it the team amazing to me? And one of the things I started doing is what Teams have I been a part of, even going back to high school band, and and then in the Navy, you know, as different part, not just the Navy, but I was with some different Christian mission missionary groups or Christian groups within, um, you know, the Navy stuff, and uh, you know, and then uh, 
you know, different jobs and whatever, and just like, what have, what made those things where they really had an impact on my life, what made them good and how can I bring those forward? Hmm. And again, with my foster kids, how can I make that team at home an amazing team? Um, You know, with kids that are dealing with a lot of struggles and stuff and how can we, you know, how can I help them want to be part of a team that's amazing and, you know, and make that a part that helps them move forward to be men who can be amazing with their own families. Yeah. Going back to what you said about um, a lot of the sessions here are focused on Scrum or Agile. Um, I led a session yesterday uh, about what's my personal path, uh, what's my career path, you could say. And we did a, an exercise called Journey Lines where we talked about um, from high school or college, whatever it might be, to now, what are some of the bigger milestones in your life that kind of put you on this path? And and uh, is there anything that looking back on your life was like, wow, why did I do that? Because it has nothing to do with who I am. And, and I learned from it, and, and, and I realized that, you know, it, it's against my character, so now I'm, I'm back on, I'm on this path. And listening to what you're saying now, too, and applying... Uh, thinking back to groups that you were in, whether it was in the Navy or, or the subgroups there that you mentioned or or family uh, or fostering, there's a lot of activities that we're doing outside of our work lives that really um, do cross over and, and, and vice versa. Um, and I think that the open space, more than any other conference or workshop that we can go to, the open space gives you gives us the opportunity to share those experiences and kind of learn from each other and, and then be more self-reflexive and, and say, yeah, that, that's true for me too. And maybe I should apply some of those principles from work to home or home to work or community or whatever. So, yeah, good point. I like that. It's interesting that you say that. Um, I was on the board of directors for a couple of years for a local opera company, actually. And uh, one of the things I noticed was we were getting so overwhelmed with different tasks and people had all these things in their heads. And so after going to an Agile Open and kind of seeing how people apply Agile in their community, I started making a Kanban board for us to put stuff on. And it really helped streamline our processes. So I think that there are so many different principles that we can apply in our daily lives, uh, not just in software development. And I really like how we talk about that here. Mm-hmm. In the open space, yeah, I came to um, I came to the open space this week and 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 the one in, in last week in Seattle, not really having, not thinking that I would pitch any topics, but eventually I, I did, um, not knowing what I would pitch, uh, with the exception of the six trumps. I kind of knew that I would talk about that because I, um, it's it's something that I like talking about now. And for listeners, it's it's not those six trumps; it's the training from the back of the room. Uh, concepts. Um, but I like the fact that you can experiment here and you can say, I'm going to talk about, um, up in Seattle, I talked about what are some practices that we can use to become more present. And it just kind of came to me and it was more of a question, hey, what do you guys use? And I did it first thing in the morning. So when people are coming in and, and uh, finding their breakfast and stuff, there was a group of us who were together in a corner talking about like meditation or, or the check-in protocol or something like that. Um, I, I wouldn't do that at work. Probably I wouldn't do that at a, at a conference, a typical conference, but at an open space, um, there's room for that. Uh, and I love that about open space. Yeah. You can get all kinds of interesting things. You know, uh, the session just came out of, it was about the invisible leader 
Mm. And what was interesting there is that the half the session ended up going in a completely different direction than the facilitator had intended. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, the questions she asked boiled up a lot of interesting concerns amongst the participants. And so it was kind of just fun to watch. And then have her take those concerns you know she started off with you know the theme of this conference is agile powering the world and she you know, so she asked you know if agile powered the world what would it look like mm-hmm. and you know most people were you know talking about idealist views of things but then a couple of people were like well wait there's a bunch of pain that can be caused here and so we kind of dove, dove into that and you know it came and the way she pulled it together is like okay well based on these pains you're talking about what principle is being violated? I mean, there's a principle being violated, otherwise we wouldn't have these paints. Mm. And then she used that to turn around and say, okay, well, now that we have that, you know, how do we approach this in this way with an invisible leader? And it was really what, she did a really well job, a really good job with it. I will be thinking about that particular um, session probably for the next couple weeks as I try to digest it. Yeah, isn't that great? I've had sessions like that too, where I've I've shown up and not know what to expect or, or like, it, it started off one way, and then it kind of took a, a right turn, 90 degrees, and, and then it kind of stuck with me. Um, and again, Willem, you guys work with Willem uh, Larson, too, and, and he's he did a topic on um, the thermodynamics of emotion, I think is what it's called, and, yeah. uh, and he's got a, a longer workshop coming up on that as well. Um, and that's something that like I left just thinking about it over and over and over, so it's great stuff. Well, um, I want to I want to let you guys get back to the sessions because we've still got a couple of uh, hours left in the day here. But before we leave, I want to thank you one more time for being here. So around the table, Rich Klingman, Jason Kearney, and Sarah Weisel, and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, again, thanks for listening, and remember to enjoy your coffee with friends.